Welcome to the Almost Monday podcast. Yes. I'm the host, Elizabeth May, and today I have Blake Michael. Excited to be here, Ellie. Um, I am a huge fan of the podcast, and so when you asked me to be on here, I was like, yes! Yes, I'm so happy you did. Heck yeah. <laughs> I've course. been looking forward to this for a while now. Totally. <laughs> me too. Can you please introduce yourself and give us a little background? Okay, so... My story starts when I was like four years old. I was watching TV and I saw some kids in a commercial playing pretend. And I love to play pretend as a kid. Every kid does, exactly. right? Exactly. And so I saw these kids <laughs> in the TV and I was like, wow, this is so cool. These kids were like doing a commercial for a Nerf gun or like a My Little Pony or something. And I thought, wow. Um, I want to be like those kids. I want to be like those kids in the box playing pretend. And so I went to my mom and I said, mom, I want to be like them. And my family had no entertainment background. She didn't know. My mom didn't know how to help me. So what she did was after months of begging to be like the kids in the TV, she enrolled me in acting classes. And it was there in the acting classes where I learned the skills and the tools um, to know what to do when eventually I would walk into audition rooms and meet casting directors pretend. and play pretend. <laughs> it's the coolest thing. And so little by little, you know, I started with like background acting, being an extra. If anyone doesn't know what an extra is, it's, you know, someone in the background of a film, usually drinking a coffee or like not having any lines. They're just kind at of four. There. You drank coffee. <laughs> That's right. At four years old, double shot espresso. Yeah. And so um, I started with, with, the extra jobs and just sort of like chipped away and, and built, built away my resume, built up my resume. Then I got a few commercials and things just really started to, to blossom for me in the acting world. Um, and around the age of eight years old, I discovered this thing called YouTube. Have you heard of it? It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and YouTube at the time, they were just testing out this monetization tool, this idea that people who are posting videos online could actually make money from them. And at the time I was posting videos of myself doing magic for like my family. I love it. You ever seen them? <laughs> um, and so I was doing magic tricks on YouTube to just share with my family and friends. And then all of a sudden, some of my videos actually started to pick up a little bit more traction than three or four views, where all of a sudden, thousands of people around the world were watching my magic. And so I was actually the youngest person to get partnered on YouTube or get invited to this monetization layer that they were just testing out. So exciting. It was really cool because, and all of my friends around me were trying to figure out how can I get invited? How can they get invited too? So my very first company at the ripe age of, I think 10 years old, was called Get Partnered and it helped other YouTubers monetize themselves on YouTube. And ever since that point, I've been really excited about helping creators succeed, empowering their success, and um, you know, building tools for them. And so that really sparked like this second track um, alongside my acting career, which is my passion for the creator economy and empowering creators to succeed. Um, and then since then I started, <laughs> I started working, um, with, with many different, um, startups being actually more behind the scenes in the environments and, um, helping build out the tools and formulate the marketing strategies and figuring out the go to market and talking to creators to figure out what tooling they need. Right. Cause at 10 years old, I was on YouTube and there weren't a lot of tools built for me. And now I think what we're seeing is this huge wave, um, and it's, 
amazing that more and more companies are building tools for this new demographic, for this new creator persona um, of people who are making a living online doing what they love to do. So back to my story, I, I, kept, I kept acting and um, you know, eventually starred in a few movies and TV shows. Um, but, and a lot of people might know me from some Disney Channel stuff or Netflix, but this passion for creator economy uh, businesses have, have, has been really inspiring uh, me to work with more and more companies. So obviously you have a long history in the entertainment industry as, as mainstream media. Um, how do you see that really adapting with the rapid growth of the creator economy? It, it's funny, like back in the day, and I say back in the day, it wasn't that, far, that long ago. <laughs> Things move quickly, right? It's rapid. <laughs> right, like five years ago, 10 years ago, media traditional Hollywood really owned the distribution and they still own a, a huge part of it. But with the introduction of YouTube, there's been this massive uh, development and change and influx of, of finally giving independent artists that distribution. It's similar to like the music industry with record labels. Now more and more artists are going independent. Well, we're seeing more and more creators, this disruption happening um, where they own their own distribution and the studios are no longer the sole gatekeepers of entertainment. And holding them to these really tight contracts, from what I understand, you get locked into something and you don't really own your content anymore. Exactly. And as an ex-Disney actor, <laughs> I can definitely attest to this, right? These networks, they own, it's like these 360 deals where they own your likeness and any other project you want to be in, you know, you have to get approval from them. Uh, they own everything about you creatively and publicly. And so, yeah, the rise of YouTube and these social platforms, I think, has really disrupted the industry. And it's exciting to see more people take advantage of this shift. I think that the traditional media companies are going to have to um, transition. And a lot of them already have been. I mean, you look at Nickelodeon, I think they have taken on more and more sort of... Um, creator types to star in their TV shows. And they're really trying to embrace this shift. And you look at even more traditional, um, you know, companies like T-Mobile partnering with Ryan, Go Ryan Gosling, no, Ryan Reynolds, yeah. wrong Ryan, <laughs> um, to, to work together with that sort of um, spokesperson or, or head of creative type. So th there's a lot more that's going to happen. I think this is just the beginning. But, you know, in 2023, we're clearly seeing this shift taking place. Is really exciting for anyone who's looking to get into that market or someone who maybe feels like they haven't had their career go the path they want. This is probably a good opportunity to help them kind of course correct. Um, what would be some advice that you have for them getting into that? Getting into the creator economy? Yeah, and really kind of owning their own content. Yeah, I mean, building a personal brand is so, so important. I think you've done an amazing job at this. Thank you. Right, being the <laughs> entrepreneur and working on 10 different projects at once. You know, you've really, and I think more and more people can follow this, um, to leverage the social networks and build that personal brand um, because there's so many opportunities online and connections to be made. So um, people can start tapping into building personal brands, but also putting out original 
short form content or long term long form content. Um, so those are those are some of the ways. I think more people should be putting on putting out content on a regular basis. Like there's no reason not to be. And you know our lives get busy and in the way sometimes. But um, you know if you're not putting out one original piece of content every week, um, I think that you're probably missing out on some interesting either people or business opportunities. I know for myself, LinkedIn has been huge in creating my network and creating my following, but also um, really finding good collaboration. Um, what would you say one of the challenges that um, creators face today in, well, that was terrible. <laughs> You're good. I like the LinkedIn line. <laughs> I was like, okay, like kind of went off. Um, so I know for myself that LinkedIn has been good at creating my own thought leadership and making connections that I wouldn't otherwise have. Um, what would you say are the most significant challenges that creators are facing today and how can they overcome them? Yeah, you're so right. LinkedIn is, I, I'm probably the most bullish on LinkedIn right now. Um, they've made a lot of efforts to become more creative first and put out the tooling for thought leaders to get their opinions out there. So props to LinkedIn. I think everyone over there, shout out to Cayman and on the team um, are doing a really great job at that. But you know, creators should really be putting themselves out there more. And I think that the idea of um, you know, building a business off of just a few, you know, your, your most uh, loved fans, the, the, your first thousand fans, right? Like you can build an entire business off of just a thousand people who, who truly support you and like what you do and um, believe what you're doing is valuable to them. It doesn't take a million followers to have a thriving business. So uh, for creators out there, I think the best thing that they can do is really chip away at building that one-to-one -one relationship with your audience. And you can do that through engaging in the comments, building out separate communities, hosting meet and greets, doing online virtual ones as well. Um, anything that's providing value, I think, to the audience is really what I think more creators should be focused on right now in 2023. So something that just kind of came to mind here as we're talking about what a creator is. What if you're a business person and you say, I'm not good on camera. I've never done this before. I don't like hearing myself. I'm, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. How would you say you go from kind of that mentality to I am a creative. I do have something to offer. That's a great question. I think a lot of people can benefit from having someone on their team or in their family, maybe who's more fluent <laughs> in, the, in the social media networks or understands what it takes to put out content. Business leaders are super busy and, um, you know, but there are people out there who, who can essentially help create the content, produce it, put it out, and make sure that there's some level, some volume of thought leadership that's going out on a regular basis. So despite having maybe a super busy schedule and a lot of stuff going on, um, there's still room, I think, for more business leaders to, to you know, sort of become the thought leader or content creator that they may want to be, but are reluctant to invest the time and resources into. So you've had a lot of work with founders and entrepreneurs um, working on projects and trying to get out their marketing and growth. What are some key factors that you feel like could contribute to their success? Yeah, I think more founders can be focused on utilizing their customers and their users and letting them influence the product and the companies themselves, 
right? Like I think Guy Kawasaki put it best, you know, you should really start with the people and work backward to the technology, right? And it's like, if you're building a product that's ultimately going to benefit um, and be used by hundreds, thousands, maybe millions of people, you should be really close to your customer. And that's one thing that I often share with founders and people who might be building new startups, um, or maybe even they have a thriving startup and they've gotten sort of disconnected from the end user. One thing I love to do with companies is put together, you know, product boards or VIP, you know, creator councils where on a daily or weekly basis, you know, you've got a direct line of communication to your most active users. Just huge. You've got to really feel your finger on the pulse of things. Exactly. And I think that's so valuable for, for founders to, to have that direct line. Because maybe you have a question about, you know, the, the usability of something or the function or even the design to be able to just blast off a message and, and get a response in, you know, less than several weeks or months of beta testing. <laughs> Waiting for that information to come back. Exactly. Which then at that point, is it even relevant? It, it's way better to have, have that, that speed. I think in startups is all about speed, right? So. <laughs> And course correcting quickly. <laughs> Pivots are everything. <laughs> That's really exciting. So what would you say that there's some misconceptions about the creator economy and how would you debunk them? The creator economy definitely has a lot of misconceptions. I think that, you know, we saw in 2020 this massive influx of capital, billions of dollars being poured into the creator economy ecosystem. Um, there was a lot of excitement and I think it was a bit too frothy, right? And so now fast forward to 2023, there's been a lot less investment into the creator economy, but I don't think that's going to stop um, companies from succeeding and users from benefiting from what they're doing. So there's a lot of um, amazing things still happening in the space. And it's still fairly new. You know, 10 years ago, there weren't as many you know, companies solving for these things. Absolutely. I mean, you, you said YouTube, you started eight years ago, right? So Exactly. So um, I think that there's a lot of misconceptions about the creator economy. And, um, you know, one of them is that, you know, the idea of being a professional creator just isn't viable. And that just simply isn't true, right? Um, there are more creators making more money than ever right now. And if you have a passion for something, there is likely a way to, you know, make a living <laughs> from it, doing it online and building an audience from that. Which I think is great because I think a lot of people aren't able to necessarily get their passion out to that broad audience without online tools. Definitely. I mean, you have, you know, people teaching things online, like these very unique you know, horse dances or, you know, <laughs> how to play the banjo or like even just sharing their favorite DIY. You know, maybe there's just, there's some great sewing creators out there too. How about the chicken swing? Have you seen, do you follow someone? I have, I have a chicken swing now because of this. So, <laughs> so uh, I know we both, we both have chickens. <laughs> Love of chickens. I think I've seen <laughs> at least three days worth of chicken content on YouTube. Yeah, we're now hatching a duck egg. Are you really? Because <laughs> one of my little chickens, she wanted to hatch an egg and didn't want to get off the, the nest. So now right? we're, we're hatching a duck egg. How long does it take to hatch a duck egg? Less than a month. So depending on what stage the egg is when it comes to you, okay. you, you have roughly a month to, to look at. How many chickens do you have? 
Only five. Oh, so only now, five? <laughs> I know. It's like, you see people with the herds. I'm very jealous. I'm like, but you know, city chickens. Do, so. do you see herds in LA? Are there herds? No, of, like I just online. You okay. see people with these massive herds and they call them and I'm like, yes, the yeah. chicken feuds, I think it was. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. It's a thing. So I, I too have four chickens. Um, their names are Easter, Red, Blue, and Olive. And they lay different colored eggs. Um, I think a lot of people don't uh, realize that in LA County, you can actually <laughs> raise chickens in your backyard. Yes. There's one rule though. You cannot have a rooster um, and you have to have the coop or the chickens actually 30 feet away from like other buildings or homes. But besides that, you can have chickens in your backyard. So every day they lay like four eggs, fresh eggs every single I love day. It. I, yeah, I haven't bought eggs now in probably six, eight months. Which is, which is amazing because we just avoided, you know, the big egg crisis of 2023. <laughs> exactly. I was like, what's next on the horizon? What kind of like little animal could I have in the backyard? Yeah. Trader Joe's <laughs> shelves are just wipes. Like only one carton per person. Exactly. There's no cartons on it. <laughs> like $12 for eggs. I'm like, it's not, not okay. It's ridiculous. And that's the thing too, is like you, you can't, um, it's difficult to, to understand like what goes into the eggs, what they're feeding the chickens. There's not a lot of like transparency around that. No. And when you're raising your own, you know exactly what's in it. Yes. And I think I started composting as well because I realized in addition to... You started composting? I did. Cause you make I was worms? Because <laughs> yeah. well, you got to get the chickens. So like anything that they don't eat, then I collect it and then I compost. It's, it's become very... Uh, natural process in my backyard. So it's been fun. I, I've never gotten so excited about making worms through composting, but, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's going to be next. I'm going to copy you. You can get a little planter box and you have your veggies next to the chickens Great. and you can use your chicken poo for the <laughs> fertilizer. Yeah. I mean, yeah it's like why not? Circle of life. It's a circle of circle <laughs> of life. Yeah. It's amazing. Wonderful. Well, what about your thoughts on the new Threads app? The new Threads app. Okay. Instagram just launched this Twitter copycat called Threads. They gained 30 million users in the first day of launching. And the response has been incredible. I think what's happening right now is a lot of people are joining the app and seeing what is a relatively or comparably small audience or user base compared to Twitter, at least for now. And it feels like a high school reunion. It feels like school. It feels like <laughs> you're just like gossiping and there's, and there's like, there's feuds and there's like really good original thought pieces and stuff. And I'm afraid that threads just like, isn't going to stay that way for a very long time. I would agree. Like threads is a really cool place right now. And I, I was a Twitter user back in 2009. I joined Twitter to see threads come along, uh, is really exciting, but I think Instagram is going to have to make a choice just like Facebook had to, or meta around, you know, the, the advertising and, and how they're going to monetize the platform. Because what, what we keep seeing is these, these platforms are launching and they sort of go through that same cycle. They, they launch, it's a really great place to be. And then they slowly introduce ads. Your reach starts going ads. down, <laughs> even more ads. And then as a creator too, you're starting to be faced with the, with this decision of, you know, you've promoted and you've spent so much time investing into your platforms and attracting the followers to the platforms, but then the platforms start taking away your reach. Yeah. On Facebook, like I had uh, close to 3 million fans on Facebook. And when I would post, I would reach, you know, one, 2 million people because 
3 million signed up to see my posts. And now when I post on Facebook, you know, only maybe 100,000, 200,000 of those people might even see the post. And that's really challenging as a creator to sort of face that reality. So what I implore more creators to do is to really um, embrace the idea of owning their audience, right? And what I mean by that is when you have followers on these platforms, uh, you don't own them at all. You don't know their name. You don't have their email address. And the algorithm could change one day and, and pull them all away from you. And instead, creators should be thinking about you know, retaining the audience in a much more meaningful way, whether you have an email list sign up, maybe you have a membership site or a course. Um, I think one great platform to do that on is, is Kajabi, right? $5 billion they've paid out to creators. It's nuts. So more creators should think about ways they can own their audience and not be so reliant on these algorithms because look, in 2023, um, everything's <laughs> up in the air and you know, you've spent so much time building your audience. I think it's time to, to really truly own it. And I think it makes it much more sustainable as you're going through the whole process of monetization as well. You're not just losing that and now what after you put all that time into it? Yeah, exactly. I, uh, you know, you're, you've invested that much time into it. So why would you like leave it up to the algorithms? Leave it to chance. <laughs> I know creators who spend tens of thousands of dollars into their video, into their content, and you know, it brings so much value to the people who are watching it. But then, you know, one day YouTube flips a switch or yeah. Twitter flips a switch and, and everything changes for them. So that's why, um, you know, if you're a creator with, with over 10,000 followers, even over 5,000 followers, you know, there are really great opportunities out there right now to create a sustainable, thriving business and, you know, increase your revenue. So many creators right now, they're reliant on brand deals and they're reliant on ad sense. And I hope that more and more of them can realize um, that they can capture this sort of third bucket, which is this owned audience, this idea of monetizing off of a small community, whether it's memberships or courses or an email newsletter. Um, but there's a lot of exciting things out there right now. And I hope more and more creators harness this opportunity. So you knew we were going to ask, can you tell us a juicy Disney secret? Oh boy, a juicy Disney secret. I think that um, a lot of people don't realize, you know, Disney really, um, really owns you for that period of time where you're, you know, on their TV show or movie. Um, you know, in 2009, I created a Twitter and I was actually gaining like a little bit of a following. And that was right around where I started to join the whole Disney circuit. In 2011, Lemonade Mouth premiered. Um, it was number one on the Billboard charts. It was setting records as a movie and people around the world were starting to get to know us. And so I was utilizing my Twitter to gain a new audience and connect with my fans on a deeper level. No one was really doing it to that extent because I was kind of a nerd, right? I was going live on blog TV and like on all these like my, you know, MySpace and these other like random sites. So I had a Twitter back in 2009, but in 2011, the Disney movie I was in, Lemonade Mouth, came out and Disney wasn't so thrilled about me having <laughs> a Twitter, right? Because like these media networks, these, these traditional Hollywood, they are used to owning and gatekeeping how you can reach your audience. And so there I was at... 14 years old, being able to directly, Pushing the boundaries. yes, <laughs> being able to directly connect with my audience. And so 
I think that was really eye-opening and not a lot of people realize, but now, now Disney has definitely opened up to social media and they utilize it and they encourage their, their, uh, their, you know, actors to utilize it. Another juicy Disney secret is that Disney actually sends us to media training, right? So as a Disney actor, when you're on red carpets all the time, I can't tell you how many freaking red carpets <laughs> I've been on, you know, you'll be asked questions sometimes that are kind of difficult. Inflammatory questions. Sure. Trip you up. <laughs> I mean, we remember back in, you know, 2012, there were some questionable Disney stars out there and they were having some issues of their own. Maybe they were having like mental health and working out their own life stuff, figuring out who they are as an adult, really transitioning from that child actor to being an adult and living somewhat, hopefully normal, more normal life. And part of the media training that Disney does is really um, educating us like how to answer interview questions, how to talk to the media, media, how to be like safe online. Because I remember back in the day, like you could post a tweet, <laughs> you could post a tweet and like your location would be attached to the tweet. And oh, so wow. okay. there were some cases where, you know, some friends of mine who at the time, they were like 15, 16 year old girls or guys even, you know, getting like sort of tracked down and stalked um, by like super fans. And that's Yay. not okay. <laughs> like, hey, it's me. Like, I'm your favorite fan. <laughs> <laughs> so Disney puts us through this like media training. And I thought it was a little corny at first, but I, I can appreciate it now. I feel like today I could probably handle just about any difficult question question you throw at me. Oh, that's a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately, uh, I think it's good, good for them and, and good for the actors that they represent. And, and a lot of Disney, you know, Disney child actors, there's this misconception that, you know, all Disney actors are messed up and they all have issues. And the 1% of them are the very few number of people who go through life challenges or might, might have mental health issues. Um, those are the ones who get pushed out on, on TMZ and, and get plastered all over of the course. news. Few people talk about the majority of amazing people who have been on Disney Channel and, and come out alive. With healthy families and, and good friend bases and take that to a, obviously a very successful career. Absolutely. And so a lot of my friends, you know, post Disney channel actors are still thriving and they're doing their own thing. Or, you know, look at Rowan Blanchard, like off like starring in these Netflix shows and, and, um, so many amazing people. So I think, I think you can come out of the Disney circuit <laughs> alive and I hope people realize like, you know, all, all Disney child actors are not bad eggs. <laughs> and plus like I have, I'm really grateful because I have a really amazing family who raised me. And I think that they instilled a lot of things in me that maybe some of the more troubled like ex actors, um, don't, don't have, or didn't, didn't experience, didn't have that blessing. So I'm appreciative of my family for that reason. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming today. And I know many of our listeners will probably know how to find you on social media. But for those who don't, can you tell us, please? Yeah, definitely. Just uh, search my name, Blake Michael, on you know Instagram, now threads. <laughs> we'll be looking for you on threads. <laughs> All the things. <laughs> thanks so much for coming today. Yeah, thanks, Ellie.